Hey, Tourpreneurs, it's Mitch Bach. And just a quick note before we begin today's episode, Tourpreneur is currently sponsored by Google. We're thankful for their support of our community, and we are offering with them a completely free course helping you unlock the power and potential of Google's Things to Do program, which is specifically helping tour operators add their tours to Google in new ways that gives you new exposure and more direct bookings. To learn more, go to tourpreneur.com slash Google. And as always, show notes, more resources, links to our newsletter, our business coaching community, and so much more are available on tourpreneur.com. Now to the episode. This is a disclaimer before we get into today's show. This episode was recorded prior to the coronavirus pandemic. So whilst the content is still relevant, there may be a few moments when it'll raise an eyebrow because, of course, this was before we were in this crisis. Enjoy today's show. Today's episode is brought to you by Checkfront, the booking platform trusted by over 5,000 tour and activity operators around the world. You can start your own free 21-day trial over at Checkfront.com. Welcome to the Tourpreneur Podcast. Travel industry veteran Shane Whaley will take you on a journey with fellow tourpreneurs, sharing their tips, ideas, insights, and success stories to inspire you to make your tour business the best it can be. And now, here is your host, Shane Whaley. Hello and welcome to episode 65 of the Tourpreneur Podcast. You know, I always say we're here to flatten the learning curve for tour operators. That's our mission here at Tourpreneur, and we're going to do that today because we're talking all about registered trademarks. Now, I know this is a topic that many of you have concerns about. I get a lot of emails on this question, and I'm not legally trained, so I can't really answer these. So I reached out to a gentleman called Gordon Firemark. Now, Gordon is a an attorney. He does specialize in entertainment law, but nonetheless... He's an expert when it comes to trademarks in the United States. And I have to give that caveat. The advice he gives out today is based on U.S. law. But I think you can, even if you're based around the world, you'll get a lot out of this episode today. And I, you know, I came to you, the listener, and asked you, what are your concerns? What keeps you awake around trademarks? And should you get a trademark? And how do you go about getting a trademark? And that scary moment, what do you do when you get a cease and desist letter? One of our listeners recently had a letter saying, hey, you know, you are using the term culinary tours. That's our registered trademark. You can't use it. Now, of course, we can all laugh at that and go, yeah, whatever. But there's stress. There's anxiety. It's going to take time to deal with that. It's going to take time away from running, growing and maintaining your business. So we talked to Gordon about these issues on this episode of Tourpreneur. And I'm very, very grateful that he's given us some of his time today to answer some of these questions. Uh, You can find Gordon's website at firemark.com. And I just want to make two things clear. One, do your own due diligence. Advice you hear today is coming from a US attorney. Do your own due diligence as well. Secondly, uh, Tourpreneur is earning nothing through uh, this episode today because I do talk a little bit about why I wish I had hired an attorney rather than going through legal Zoom. Um, but I'm not making any money. There's no affiliate, right, guys? I'll always be honest about that. If Tourpreneur is going to get a cut, I'm going to tell you. This episode today is all about 
informing and educating you, our tourpreneur listener. And we want to do more of these. So if there are areas where you want help and support, you know, we've, we're having the vertical uh, panels, roundtables coming up, like the food tour panel. We're having the tour operator website tune-up. If there's anything else where you need help, drop me a line at tourpreneur.com. We're here to help. And if you can do me one big favor, if you enjoy today's show, please share it with a peer, with a friend, with someone in your network who is looking for legal advice on trademarks or just someone in your network who you feel would benefit through listening to Tourpreneur. I don't have a marketing budget to promote this show. The reason this show is growing is through you, through the power of word of mouth. And I really, really appreciate that. Okay, enough from me. Let's cross over to Gordon Firemark. Welcome to Tourpreneur, Gordon Firemark. How are you? Hi, Shane. Great to be here. I really appreciate you jumping on a call with us because there's been a lot of questions from tour operators, what we call tourpreneurs, around trademarks and patents. And there's been a couple of cease and desist cases that have, that have kind of been emailed to us that are interesting for us to look at. So I really wanted to cover a couple of the topics that I, I asked my listeners, look, what's top of mind? What's keeping you awake when it comes to trademarks and patents and everything else? So first of all, one of the questions we got, is it worth it for a small company to trademark their tour operator name? The short answer, I think, is yes. You know, this is one of those things where your your brand name is the thing that will allow you to, well, one of the things that will allow you to grow your business. So you may be small now, but, you know, if somebody comes along and just as you're starting to gain some momentum and begins using a name that is confusingly similar with your own, that could really undermine your your marketing and promotional efforts and and slow down your growth. So a trademark registration is an important way of protecting against that eventuality or possibility. And and I think it's, yeah, it's. I would say it's near the top of the list of things to do on the legal standpoint when, you know, as you're getting a business off the ground. So let's say I have a walking tour here in Burlington, Vermont, called Shane's Walking Tours or Burlington Walking Tours. What would be the danger for me if I didn't register Burlington Walking Tours? Well, the danger is that that uh, your another competitor comes along and also launches Burlington Walking Tours, or walking. Well, yeah, Burlington Walking Tours would be the most confusing. Now, that's an interesting issue because what you've stated as the brand is a very descriptive name, and and trademarks generally are designed to protect distinctive names. So we, we have the spectrum of genericness at one end and descriptiveness sort of a little further along the spectrum and distinctive and coined and fanciful terms at the far other end. Descriptive terms generally don't pass muster with the trademark registration folks until they've been used long enough to have acquired a secondary meaning in the mind of the consuming public. And that's sort of an acquired distinctiveness kind of thing. So you, there are examples in, in the marketplace. You know, the National Biscuit Company is a little company we now call Nabisco, <laughs> but they, they managed and uh, pay less shoes was another example. Toys R Us, you know, those and Toys R Us had a distinctive logo. But the point being, you can acquire distinctiveness over time. So uh, step one, I would say, is in choosing the name of your business and the name of your product, choose wisely, choose something a little distinctive so that you don't have the pushback in those early days. Yeah, it's interesting you bring that up. One of the cases that, uh, and I will not name those involved in this, but someone wrote to me and said, hey, I've had a cease and desist letter. So they run food tours. And the the letter said, you cannot use the terms culinary tour, which, yeah, ex- I, I, I roll. The look my on eyes. my face tells Shane that I'm puzzled by that. <laughs> yes. Now, the, the thing is, when you're not conversant with the law, it's scary. 
you know, I always think if you get a, if you get a legal letter or a letter from the IRS, you know, it's time to worry. So this person, you know, had to hire a lawyer. They sent a letter back saying, we don't agree. You know, that's not trademarked and blah, blah, blah. They wrote another, another cease and desist. So meanwhile, you know, that the meter is ticking. He's paying his lawyer bills because he wants to do the right thing. What would you say, let's say you were advising this person and they got a cease and desist letter saying, don't use walking tour, for instance, which is very genetic. Would you just say to that person, just ignore it? There's no way they can enforce it or that they should respond? I wouldn't just ignore any lawyer letter or or demand like that because it's possible that, as I said, they they could have some sort of acquired distinctiveness or some some you know colorable claim to ownership of the name or something like that. So I would say step one, you know, maybe before hiring lawyers, you know, you can go online and do your own trademark search of the trademark registration database. And uh, while I wouldn't conclude necessarily that that is that you've done it right, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. It's certainly worth checking. Obviously, you know, you can demand that they say, well, if you've got trademark rights, prove it. What's your registration number? If they prove it, then then you make your decisions accordingly. If they can't prove it, then you have, I think, a re- reason to consult with a lawyer about your options. There are such things as unregistered common law trademarks and things like that. But something like culinary tours or food tours or walking tour, that's descriptive. And the whole point of this is that we don't want to take these things completely out of the lexicon because then there's no other way to describe the thing we're doing. So uh, that's why we want to make sure things are distinctive before we can protect them. Sure. No, thank you. That's good advice because uh, my advice to him was, I'll just ignore it. They'll never enforce it. But uh, you know, you're, you're the expert on these matters. So I'm glad to have you on. Yeah. The risk of, of ignoring it is really that the other side escalates and takes further action and maybe files a lawsuit. And at that point now, you do have to hire lawyers and defend yourself. Or uh, if you ignore that, you end up with a default judgment against you and you <laughs> you got real problems. I think it's better to you know nip these things in the bud as soon as possible. Well, I'm sure that tour operator concerned who listens to the show is smiling right now at your advice because that's exactly what they did. And it's ongoing, by the way, but apparently it's gone quiet. So um, another question we received, there are companies here in Toronto causing confusion because they, they've named their businesses in a similar way to mine. I'm tour guys, and then there's a Toronto and Niagara tour guys, plus there's a Toronto Adventures, and I'm Toronto Urban Adventures. I'm wondering if I should register and trademark my company name now. As I started out as a man with a van operation, I never did. But as things progress and grow, maybe I should, even if I still trade as a sole trader. Well, I have to say I'm a U.S. lawyer. I'm not licensed in Canada, and I know the laws are a bit different there. I think it, this is a situation where it justifies speaking with a, a local attorney who can advise you. It may be too late to register uh, your trade names, your trademarks there, but you may also, by virtue of, of longstanding use, have that sort of common law trademark protection that I talked about. If you were in the marketplace for a few years prior to those others coming in and, and uh, crowding the marketplace with competitive brand, it might be possible to put a stop to it. Here in the U.S., we have uh, state and federal unfair competition laws and things like that. And it's sort of, a, you know, if they knew or should have known that you were in the marketplace under under a tour guise, I think that's a, a pretty good, clever, you know, it's descriptive, but it, it's a little bit suggestive and more toward that uh, distinctive side. I think it's worth exploring whether you have some argument there. Yeah, consult with somebody, I think, is the best advice. Thank you. Take a day off from answering emails, telling your team what to get ready, or manually entering info across sales channels. Actually, 
take many because Checkfront will help manage your bookings. Guests book and pay however they want. Your team has the tools they need to operate smoothly and your calendar always stays up to date. Now, what will you do with all that extra time? Checkfront, one booking platform, limitless possibilities. Find out more at Checkfront.com. Uh, another listener question. I'm interested in learning about trademarking slogans, not just the business. What are the benefits, if any? Is this something we should look at in addition to trademarking the business? Yes, I think so. I mean, a slogan can be originated. Here's the, the important thing. Trademark is designed to protect words, phrases, slogans, graphics, and things like that that are used to identify a particular goods or services as coming from a particular source. So if you have a slogan for your, your brand or product that is distinctive, it has to be distinctive, then, then yes, it's worth, it's worth looking into registering. Now, of course, you have to be careful that you're not trying to register. Use the force Luke or use the fork Luke would be good for culinary tour. There you go. Marketing <laughs> advice coming in here as well. <laughs> uh, use the force Luke or, or something like that, or you had me at hello or, you know, some common movie phrase or something like that. But if you're, if you've come up with a clever, distinctive phrase, yeah, absolutely. Uh, explore registering that. Even if your product or service name isn't distinctive, that slogan may be the thing that distinguishes you in the marketplace. Sure. If a foreign tour company has a trademark and you only use the name in the US, what are the risks? So trademarks are territorial, but if the foreign mark owner has done business in the United States, then uh, they may have some of those kind of common law rights and they may also have international rights. There are, there are international registrations and, and that. So I would be cautious about that. If they were there first, let them have it. <laughs> uh, yeah, the best, best to stand apart on your own strengths anyway. Sure. Another question that came in, this might be a little too travel related, but let's give it a go and, and see if we can help us with this one. I'm most interested to know to what extent this is necessary trademarking to fight back big travel sites from buying ads on your name when you don't want them to. Asking them politely to stop seems to have mixed success. So for instance, let's, let's say what, like Expedia or Booking.com and they start selling uh, or using Google ads on, you know, Gordon's walking tours. And you're like, hey guys, I don't want you bidding on my keywords. Would a trademark help you in that case? Or of course, this does depend on the terms and conditions of the, the travel site you're working with, right? But in general, would that trademark help? Yeah, there, there are some, uh, you know, if you have a registered trademark already, I mean, again, doing it after the fact may make it much harder to succeed in getting registered as well. But uh, the timing of things can, can be an influence. If you already have a registered trademark and uh, your competitors are, as you said, bidding on advertising using your brand as the keywords, uh, yeah, that's something called initial interest confusion. And in the trademark uh, litigation space, there are claims based on that. It's not easy litigation and, and it's going to be expensive. My guess is if you're not competing in that ad space with the keyword advertising, you may not have the resources to, to do that kind of fight either. But it's certainly worth exploring. And uh, yeah, consult with a, uh, an intellectual property litigation specialist who can advise you on that because, yeah, I think it is poor form and unfair, <laughs> unfair uh, trade practices. And uh, sometimes the advertising companies, the Googles and, and Facebooks and so on, will, will actually act on their own on those kinds of things. Yeah, and I, I've seen it happening where someone's not working with the big travel site and they're still 
marketing the company's name to get people to look at a walking tour page in LA to see the other walking tours, you know? Yeah, it goes both ways. You know, the, the, the little guy can't bid on Expedia <laughs> or whatever uh, either. So it's something to be cautious about. Sure. So, you know, we've heard uh, several reasons why we should look into getting trademarked today on this call. What would you say is the best way for a tour operator to go about registering their name as a trademark? Well, as an attorney, I would rather that you hire a lawyer to help you do this kind of thing, to get the advice about whether it's registrable, how you can improve your chances of success with things and so on. It is possible to register using certain online services with Rocket or Zoom in their name and things like that. I'm not a big fan of those. I have my own bias against it. My feeling is, look, if you were walking down the street and you saw a box with a hole in the bottom of it hanging about head height and it said on the side, haircuts $1, would you stick your head in that box? Because I think that's sort of what you get with these online services. You might get a great haircut or you could lose an ear. <laughs> so it is possible to, you can also register yourself if you've got the, the inclination to try to make heads or tails of a government bureaucracy run website. <laughs> they don't make it easy, do they? They, no, really they don't, don't make it easy. And it's gotten harder and harder. Actually, there's been a bunch of new rules just passed. The, the, the folks in the trademark bar are, are complaining vocally about one rule that's just come into play. You know, now the, you have to put more than one email address into every application. It's just silliness. So, uh, you know, it gets a little tricky and it's easy to get upside down in it. Uh, so, yeah, I think, you know, having somebody who knows what they're doing and, and it doesn't have to be colossally expensive to hire a lawyer. I'll tell you one thing is your lawyer will probably recommend running a trademark search. And that is just let's find out if there's anything out there that would compete before we try to register because the the trademark office is going to run that search, but by then you've paid all these legal fees and, you know, so um, don't balk at the search. It's worth the investment. Yeah, that's good advice. So I did actually go through the legal Zoom process last January and here's my feedback. So I didn't really know what I was doing. I just thought, you know, Tourpreneur, it's a cool name. It's a podcast, et cetera. You know, let's trademark it. And I went through legal Zoom. Not, not the easiest thing to do. Even their own application was quite tricky I think it was around 500 bucks, but it took a long time. I mean, and then I think I was six or seven months in. And this is where I think having an attorney really would have helped because there was some query where then I had to prove to the patent office or the trademark office that this is a living thing. It's actually something that is out there and it's being used. And I looked into getting a lawyer at the time and, you know, very cheekily, I just thought, well, I'm just going to take a picture of my podcast in Apple Podcasts. And it did do the trick. But, you know, that's easier because it's it's a podcast, I guess, and it has Apple on it. But if I was running my own tour business, again, that's time away from the business. It's stress, right? It's like, am I doing this right? Am I wasting time? Am I wasting money? So I think at that point, I did think, oh, I wish I'd got an attorney to help me out with this. Cause yeah, the, the process is, uh, is time consuming. I mean, it, it takes a long time from the moment you file the application to get the, the registration certificate, uh, you know, it could be eight months or longer. In fact, I would say eight months is a pretty fast one, um, you know, because it, look, it's a, again, it's a government agency and they've got to fund themselves using, well, they've, they've got to schedule their time. And so the examining attorneys that have to look at these things, you know, it takes them a few months just to get it up to the top of the pile so they can look it over. And then they have their questions and you back and forth. And that, the back and forth is really where you need the lawyers. But uh, the lawyer who has prepared the application because we've done this a few times, we kind of can anticipate what that back and forth will look like and hopefully send the things in early so they don't 
have to ask. And I'm going to mention something now that you will definitely be aware of and you might smile, but the, for those of us entrepreneurs, I wasn't aware of this. So during that process, I believe my request gets posted on a publication or on a website saying this person wants to register to a printer. And then I got barraged by, by letters. And it, the first couple I, I twigged was a con of some kind where they were trying to get you to pay, you know, $2,000. You know, you've applied for Tourpreneur. You need to put, you know, to be in this directory. And it, the letters look official. They look like it's come from the government. Luckily, it was two grand. So it was like, well, I don't have two grand to spend on something. I don't know what it is. Maybe if it was a hundred bucks, I might have just sent off a check the first time, right? But, yeah. So there's, that's something else that entrepreneurs to be, need, really need to be aware of that you suddenly get barraged because your name is out there in the public domain. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, they're, they're, these, these services have searches programmed so that every time somebody files a registration, a few days, a week later, they will receive this solicitation that looks like a demand or looks like a, a government required something or other. And, you know, if you haven't used a lawyer who sort of set out the expectations and to whom you can forward something and say, is this real? <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, it can be very, very daunting. And, and it is a problem that the trademark office and the lawyers that do trademark know about. Unfortunately, we have free speech in this country. We can't just say you can't send these kinds of messages if they're not really fraudulent. They're, they tend to be a little deceptive or, or misleading, but not quite crossing the line. And, and the trademark office does go after some of them. But uh, uh, yeah, it, it's challenging. So read carefully, make sure, you know, look on the outside, the envelope will often have the indicator. This is not an official government communication or something like that. Be careful if you're doing it yourself. Yeah. I mean, I've been in sales for over 20 years. I think I know every racket out there, but that almost got me like the first those couple and I'm like, okay, there's something not right here. And but I can see people, especially busy, you know, torpreneurs, oh, I have to write a check off for that and do this, et cetera. So that's definitely one of the pitfalls, I think, of not working with an attorney is things like that happening. With your practice, do you or would you work with tour operators who are listening to the show today and they're like, oh, flip, I better trademark my name? <laughs> yes, I do. I mean, you know, I'll tell you my my main focus of my practice is entertainment and media law. I work with a lot of podcasters, which is how you and I have come in, into each other's orbit. But this trademark stuff is the same across the various areas. And uh, I have over the years done everything from textile manufacturers and medical equipment companies. And yeah, yeah so uh, I'm happy to help out with uh, anybody who, who and, and let's face it, tours and, and travel are a form of entertainment. So it really does sort of tie in and connect. Absolutely are. It's all, it's all an experience for people. So if someone was to work with you in terms of your packages, what's that likely to cost if they want to register their, their tour operation uh, with you? My fee, in addition to the government fee, and then actually we should say that there's a government fee in the U.S. of, I believe it's $275 per mark per class of goods or services. And many brands, you know, cross over into multiple classes. So you might have $550 or, or $800 worth of, of uh, expense on the government side, the filing fee side. My fee is just under $1,000 for a typical registration when it gets complicated, when there's a, you know, a logo as well as a, a word mark. We have additional fees and things, but uh, yeah, it starts at around 1000 plus the government fees. To be honest, and you know, we don't have, this is not, I know, I'm not getting a cut of this, dear listener, or anything at all. Um, I really want this to be information for all of us. But I, I wish now, looking back, that I'd come to you and said, Let, let's do this. Because the, the stress involved, the time involved. And then when I got that letter six months in about, oh, you need to prove you're an entity or whatever it was, I forget the legal term. 
Then I almost went to an attorney, which probably would have cost me the same anyway. So I wish I'd worked with an attorney at the start. That's not to say legal Zoom is bad. I mean, it worked, but I had sleepless nights over it and anxiety, which who needs that on top of everything else? Well, and you really have to evaluate what's your time worth. You know, you're going to spend probably two or three hours on something that the lawyer would do in under an hour and be done with it and know it's done right. You're going to spend all that time, wonder if it's done right, have that back and forth with the government. Yeah. What's your time worth for that when you could be either out running a tour or, or selling a tour or, you know, just paying your other bills and getting things taken care of. So you have the bandwidth to do the things that are important for your business. Yeah. And especially when, uh, you know, I've spoke to a few tourpreneurs who've had this happen to them. They've received that cease and desist letter knowing that, no, I hired Gordon or whoever. I've got this. I've got everything I need. Whereas if I got that letter now, I'd be like, oh, maybe I didn't register in a certain class. Maybe I've messed up here and these guys are right and I can't use tourpreneur anymore. So I think, again, there's that, that peace of mind with working with an attorney. Yeah, I love what you're saying. Keep talking. <laughs> Well, no, I, I mean, I'm talking through experience, right? right, but, right. You know, I, I don't know. Maybe I haven't registered this in the right class. And I mean, you're, you're a podcast expert as well. But I mean, it's, uh, that, that's the worry about doing it yourself. Right. For a podcast, there are, there are two possible classes. And most people register in, in the one that deals with entertainment and, and education. The other one is dealing with recorded, downloadable content. And, you know, podcasts are that. But nobody's putting out records calling them entrepreneurs. So. They're not, not yet anyway. <laughs> so Gordon, where can people find out more about you? And if they want to have a chat with you about uh, getting a trademark uh, registered with you, where can they find you online? Well, I have uh, my, my law firm website is at firemark.com. That's F-I-R-E-M-A-R-K.com. And if you add a forward slash and the word trademarks after it, it takes you directly to the trademarks page. Uh, but please, you know, surf the site and see what else I'm talking about. I, I have uh, blogs and podcasts and all that kind of good stuff. And uh, I also have a bunch of uh, products and services for podcasters and, and other online business owners at gordonfiremark.com where you can uh, have a survey of all the different stuff I offer. So check that out too. And I will add all these links for those of you who are at the meeting place waiting for your next tour to start and you're listening to the show. I'll add them at tourpreneur.com forward slash 65. Did you know every weekday Shane curates the most interesting news articles in tours and activities and sends them out in a snappy daily digest? Grab your copy of the Tourpreneur Daily Briefing at www.tourpreneur.com. Now, I have something else to ask you before I let you go, Gordon. I was intrigued about this on your website. Tell us about the name Firemark. <laughs> well, Firemark, uh, I'm, I'm proud to say that my sons and I are the only male Firemarks out there. So uh, we have to continue the, uh, the legacy. The name Firemark, we believe, was invented by an immigration agent in uh, the late 1800s, early 1900s. My great-great-grandfather, uh, no, my great-grandfather, I'm sorry, was the one who emigrated from what we refer to as the old country. We're, we're Jewish and it's the shtetl in somewhere in Ukraine or, or Belarus or something. Anyway, when he came over, the, the story goes that if they didn't get your name pronounced right on the second or third try, they just gave you a new one. Fire market is. We you know, might be phonetically similar or it might be symbolic of, of the kind of work that he did in the old, or his ancestor did in the old country. Maybe he was a lamplighter or something like that. So yeah, we have a little fun. We jokingly, oh, it's a Native American. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> well, we have a lot of history buffs, myself included. And you have a nice piece on your website about 
what happened before there were fire brigades in London, etc. Oh, right. Yeah. So a fire mark is a, a noun as well. Yeah. It, it is a, uh, a little bronze plaque that would be applied to a, a building when it was insured by a particular fire insurance company. And, and that plaque was the indicator to the fire brigade. Yes, put out the fire at this house because we, you know, the fire brigades were run by the insurance companies. If you didn't have the plaque, you didn't get your house saved. <laughs> wow. Do you know if there's any of those plaques still around in London? All over there are collectors uh, who, I don't know if they're still on the buildings there, but uh, if you if you Google it, there are collectors of fire marks. And my mom has a handful of them in, arranged in a display on the wall in her living room. So that's fantastic. Fun. Well, there we are. We've had legal advice, branding, marketing advice, and now a history lesson from Gordon. Thank you very much for giving us some of your valuable time, sir. Shane, it's been a real pleasure being here. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Torpreneur podcast. Be sure to visit torpreneur.com to join the conversation and access the show notes, including links to the resources mentioned on today's episode. This is Torpreneur.